available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner, gonna try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And we are together, the Podcast of Champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. We put an end to the 2018 season. We're going to break down the last five bowl games we haven't recapped yet. And look forward, David. There has to be... there's. There's greener pastures in 2019. Happy New Year to you, my friend. New Year, new Pac-12, new... No, I mean, it'll probably be the same thing. Happy <laughs> New Year to you as well. Um, well, thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's not good. No, yeah, it's, it, was, uh, yeah. it, it, wasn't, it wasn't great. It was better than last year. It's not one and eight, but three and four, winning three games by a combined four points. Not ideal, but we'll talk well, about all that. It's it's it was challenging. It's challenging my <laughs> my thing coming in when I was saying, oh, if they go three and four, four and three, it won't be a talking point. And while that's probably true, I don't think anyone noticed the Pac-12 as much this year. Yeah, this was about as bad as you could do going three and four. Like <laughs> we'll talk about this in a sec, but like should not have like Washington State should not have won that game. Um, Pitt could have easily beaten Stanford. Michigan State could have easily beaten Oregon. Like this was about as bad as a three and four could be. And like the Ohio State Washington game is super deceptive. Like twenty eight twenty three, that was not a twenty eight twenty three no. game. So <laughs> uh yeah. Pac twelve. Let's 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 do better, okay? Yeah. But we're we're still the podcast of champions. We're still gonna talk about the Pac twelve. We would love to talk about some more positive things, but you know, we'll do what we can. We'll uh, break down our picks, which ended the 2018 season, look a little forward to 2019, talk about some of the, we might even talk a little hoops today. we got a lot of stuff uh, on the on the docket back in studio, so hopefully this sounds better for all the people that were griping about the uh, sound quality of me being in Tennessee and all that stuff. But if you have any questions or comments, keep sending them to us. We love that, uh, especially now in the offseason. We'll talk some recruiting and stuff too coming up, but uh, pac12podcast at gmail.com. That's our email. If you'd like to call or text, you can do that with our Google Voice line, 424-532-0678. Our website, as always, packwellpodcast.com. You can see all our picks. You can see and listen to all of our episodes. We put them up there. They're all archived there. So if you want to go back and listen to week five recap of your favorite team, you can go do that on the uh, pack12podcast.com website. And then, of course, if you want to tweet us, you can do that at pack12podcast. So, a lot of ways to interact with us, David, and uh, we had we had some really interesting, I think, interactions over the uh, the bowl period. Yeah, wait, were people actually complaining about that podcast I recorded? No, I just assumed they were. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't see that anyone. I, I think I I listened to it. You know, it was all right. I mean, me just being on my cell phone in my in laws, you know, bedroom in the middle of nowhere, Tennessee. I think it came out pretty good for what we were dealing with. That's damned right. And any complainers <laughs> out there are going to get what's coming to them. No, I don't know. I don't think, I just assume there'll be some, 
some complaints. Yeah, Whenever you sure put like, are. there's audio, the audio czars out there, they're like, oh, I don't want to listen to this. I'm like, sorry, you know, we oh, do what we can. It's a little tinny. Uh, <laughs> uh, it sounds a little hollow. His voice needs more ballast. Shut up. <laughs> Every one of you, shut up. <laughs> well, David, maybe I'm starting a- <laughs> off the new year right. All right, Ryan. Is that one of your New Year re- New Year's resolutions to be more tolerant of everyone around you, or what? What is? Yeah, that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, and I, I think you can hear it, right? <laughs> you, can, I, you sound different to me. Yeah, um, obviously. Did you have a? Was it good? Did you have a good New Year's? Or oh, it was great. It was great. Yeah. Anything exciting? I was in in bed by 10 p.m. Yeah, nice. it's good. I, yeah, yeah. I, I was too. Like, Cel- celebrated mid-Atlantic New Year's. It was awesome. <laughs> I mean, I did the same thing. Like my mom was in town and we like went to, I had uh, some friends that were in from Germany, actually. Uh, we had dinner with them at like a burger joint and uh, like, it was really weird. Like, and I was in bed by 10 o'clock because we were getting up early to go to the, the parade and stuff, which I, you know, so it was definitely a different sort of uh, New Year's for me. My wife's still out of town and so my mom was in town, so not... Not the big party New Year's that maybe some of our listeners partaked in. You you mean your your mom doesn't party? I think she would. We've, you know, we would have won out if we didn't have to get up at like four thirty in the morning to try to get to Pasadena and and go see this parade. Well, the the, tr- the trick is obviously to just stay up. You know, party the whole night around and then stay <laughs> up for the parade. Be 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 completely lit at the at the Rose Parade. <laughs> At eight in the morning. It'd there was some. I think there was some. There was uh, definitely at the game. There was some some lit. We were in the Ohio State section, so I got a lot of OHIOs and uh, a lot of a lot of lit lit folks. Um, it was yeah. fun. It was it was cool. That's great. Yeah. Um, well, I guess. Uh, well, maybe we'll start off with uh, the. Let's talk about the the uh, the national championship game a little bit. Um, that's going to be where we have our uh, lovely Pac-12 championship game is going to be in uh, Santa Clara, California. So I don't know if you know, but Clemson and Alabama, not super close to Santa Clara, California. And most of the narrative on Twitter, David, is about $1,000 flights from the South to, you know, from where you are in Atlanta to, you know, San Francisco. I'm sure there's some fans that were flying into like San Diego or Los Angeles thinking it's close. Like there's all kinds of logistical problems trying to get to the West coast when you have like nine days. Uh, you, you, you don't know if your teams make it there until nine days before uh, ticket prices are low. So that's good. But you know, you know, hotels, everything around there, it's difficult. Probably not a local, a lot of local fans going to the game. Um, but it, and, and uh, every day should be Saturday wrote a pretty scathing piece that had a whole lot of pop shots uh, shots at the Pac-12 uh, in that. I don't know if you read that one, David, but any any thoughts on the Pac-12 footprint hosting the national championship game? I mean, until the Pac-12 can actually break in to the picture consistently, it, it should be on a firm like three-city rotation between Atlanta, New Orleans, and Dallas, right? Like well, You could do the right? Rose Bowl. But, 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 but why? Why? Like there's no West Coast team that's going to be in that. But that's a soon. cool experience, at least. Like they they propped up in the piece. They propped up the Rose Bowl. And I think I they yeah. yeah the the Rose Bowl's awesome. The Rose Bowl's awesome, but it's still not like local to any of the teams that will actually be participating in the game. I mean, yeah. if we're talking about that from that perspective, it should be I mean Southern based pretty much consistently. But yeah, if you're gonna pick a West Coast stadium. I mean, I know there's financial considerations and like propping up a new stadium, why they wanted to do Levi, but that stadium sucked from the jump. 
Um, it's in a bad location. Uh, there's just so many different reasons why you don't want that to be a showcase venue. Um, the new Vegas stadium, whenever that finally gets done, um, I think that would be a really good option. Uh, the Rose Bowl, I, I think, is great. Um, I, I don't necessarily love the idea of it being a national championship game. I like it, you know, kind of being its traditional thing. Yeah. But that's fine. Um, but, yeah, the, the Santa Clara Stadium is such a – I mean, it's just – it's a fundamentally bad stadium. I don't know how many people out there have been to a game there, but it's just – it's not a good experience, um, first off. And for a new stadium to not be, like, kind of cool with bells and whistles and, you know, to not have a good feel about it is just uh, – bad in general but um yeah no having this game in the pac-12 footprint in a year where the pac-12 was uh not even close to in the playoff picture ferocious uh, that's yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so it, i i'm the thing i'm worried about my my wife and i actually might you know try to get up there for the game tickets are cheap we might do a last last minute trip up there uh, i went to the rose bowl one between uh florida state and, and auburn that was pretty fun um, so we'll see. Uh, but I, I'm thinking there's going to be a lot of, uh, unhappy fans, not just because their team lost, but because of the experience there. And then, and the PAC 12 fans are gonna be like, Hey, hold my beer, Alabama fan. But this is, <laughs> this is what we got. Um, yeah. I, and I think Vegas will be great. I still like the Rose bowl. Uh, but the, you know, the Rose bowl traditional matchup is so cool and there's such great, you know, a hundred and you know, five over a hundred years of tradition there. It's not like it's the, uh, no offense to your, your city day, but the, uh, the Chick-fil-A peach bowl or anything like there's a lot of history there. And I, I like that if we can keep that going between the PAC 12 and the big 10, I think it still means something, even if it's, you know, two teams that aren't playing for the national championship. Yeah. Like this year. I mean, I thought that was a very, very cool matchup. Yeah. Um, getting big 10 champ, uh, PAC 12 champ in the game. Um, and I, I could do that every year. I don't think the Rose Bowl necessarily needs to be a part of um, that playoff calculus. I know it it, it is to an extent, but um, I, don't, I don't think it needs to be. I think it could be just its own thing. Yeah, I don't mind the rotation as much, but you know, it, if there was its own thing, I think it can stand on its own. Where I know people are worried about the Bulls losing some of the luster, but I feel like the you, we could do that. You know, we could keep it. Um, it would still be it still means something. It'd still be the granddaddy of them all. That's right. Uh, one other thing I want to bring up, David, uh, and I don't even think we talked about this in our, we have an extensive uh, pre-show meeting that lasts yes. several seconds with neither of us listening to the other, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but <laughs> which is probably true. We'll probably check a text or whatever. Um, but the, the, I was just trying to like mainline coffee before I jumped on. <laughs> um, our buddy John Canzano, who was on before, wrote another piece that got some national attention. He's been doing a really good job of that. But I don't know, David. So I, I think we we don't need to worry uh, about the image that you know the perception of the Pac-12 because the Pac-12 now has gone out and hired a PR firm to fix that. <laughs> so. We should wait, be wait, fine. Wait. Hang on. I thought you're burying the lead here because wasn't it Gonzano with another piece a little bit earlier that um, if we if we skip lunch a couple of days in a row, maybe we'll be able to buy a piece of the Pac-12? Oh, that's We didn't get to talk about that either. Oh, my God. Yeah. So we had two. So, yes, we have a public sale of the Pac-12, 10% of it, and a PR firm coming in to fix. So basically it's more about <laughs> – it's not that the, the Pac-12 can't sniff – uh, a national championship. It's not that, you know, the PAC 12, 
it might get one team in the NCAA tournament this year. It's really more about the perception. So a PR firm could come in and fix that and then make people realize that there's over 500 national championships, that it is the conference of championships. So I, I like this move. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part is that in two breaths, they did something that will make their image significantly worse, which is attempting to sell an equity stake in their conference when the entire point of their like network structure is that they have 100% equity. And then they're going to get a PR firm to fix these image problems that they literally just created more of. Yes. That's fantastic. I, I love it. It's beautiful. It's great leadership. I would love to see Larry Scott's commission structure because the the equity thing just sounds like he wants another big deal before he's shown the door. It's like it, that's that. It just sounds like he wants a payday. It's like a money grab, right? Like that's all I, I've got to figure because he's got to have something built in where if he you know puts a big deal together that gets five hundred million dollars of cash infusion into the network or into the conference that he's going to get some percentage of that. Um, so obviously what people mostly are saying is, you know, what would be better to, to win, like to, like you can change the perception by doing well at the sports people care about. And it's almost like Larry Scott's trying to avoid that at all costs. Like we need to have people understand that our thoughts are winning water polo is just as important as making the college football playoff winning a national championship. <laughs> Why don't people understand that we need a PR firm to let them know what we already do well, that I haven't done anything to change. It's just, that's what the PAC 12 does. Well is enough. It's better. Like just people don't realize that yet. The PR firm is just like a massive underground network of people trying to destroy football as a sport. <laughs> Just so that water polo can finally reach its its point of supremacy over all other sports, uh, like w what could PR do to convince anyone that the Pac-12? I mean, and our 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 boy Andrew has pointed this out. They're not the worst. That was probably the ACC this year, though. I think our, our, our I think the Pac-12's bowl season did nothing to raise their um, standing over the ACC, but I think it was still at the end of the day a little bit better than the ACC from a football perspective, and that's fine. Um, but nobody's like no PR firm is going to convince anyone that this is like a great product, either in football or basketball, especially basketball. Yeah. I mean, let's 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 address that just now. You want to do that? Let's I, do I, that up top because I, I don't want to talk about it later because it makes me vomit. And I, I just don't like doing that after the podcast. I like to do it just in the middle of it. So today's um, Thursday and the Pac-12 season uh, you know, conference games start tonight, like USC yeah. playing Cal and stuff. Um, but no team is ranked in the top 25, right? I, this, I'll give you all my knowledge, right? And, you know, from the top, no team's ranked in the top 25. Uh, every team has at least three losses. And if you compare that to like the other conferences, it's by far like the worst, like the way the PAC 12 handled the preseason or the out of conference is like, if you don't follow basketball, it's basically abysmal. It's like the worst, like it's ever happened or something like ridiculously bad. Yeah, this is going to end up being um, probably the worst Pac-12 since 2004 at best. Um, and it might end up worse than that, which is going to be worse than like basically since they've been recording conference level data for this stuff. Um, I, 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 there's no real way to get around the fact that it is a horrible league this year. Um, they're probably only going to get one team in the NCAA tournament. Um and basically, it's going to be whoever gets the automatic bid. Uh, Arizona State is 
uh, maybe the only one with a real chance at an at-large um, because they beat Kansas. But they also lost to Princeton, which I don't know if it completely offsets beating Kansas. Kansas is um, – Ken Palm has them as number seven in the country right now. Uh, they also have a close loss to Nevada, and Nevada's pretty good. So Arizona State's resume is probably – going to make them a bubbleish team by the end of the year, assuming they don't tank in conference play, but they're the only one with a resume at all. Um, Oregon has no good wins. Um, they've got a bad loss to Texas Southern. Uh, they're probably the next best team. Um, yeah, Arizona, not great. Washington, not great. UCLA just fired its coach. Um, yeah, it's 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 horrible. Um, this is significantly worse than last year, and last year was the year where, again, no uh, Pac-12 team made it to what the actual round of 64, some crazy thing like that, or no, won a no game one in the Pac. No one only, won a game in the NCAA tournament. That's right. right. They were all, and they were all on Thursday, so they didn't even make it to Friday. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so this uh, it's 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 almost unprecedented. We'll see how it ends up shaking out. Um, again, 2004 was really bad. Um, that was a year where Ken Palm had the conference rated behind the Mountain West. Uh, the WAC and Conference USA, but the uh, that was mostly because the Mountain West um, WAC and Conference USA were uncharacteristically good. Uh, this year, that's not really the case. I mean, the Pac-12 is still number six behind the Big East, but uh, their overall rating is a it's only a little bit above that 2004 uh, season. So, um, yeah, it's it's very bad, uh, and coupled with. Just and it's not from like a reality standpoint, but it kind of is. It's perception. But to have back-to-back years of basketball conference being this bad, and then also to be whatever they were, zero and eight or one and seven or whatever they were last year in bowl season, um, and then be mediocre as hell this bowl season, coupled with not having even a sniff of the playoff in football, it just gives off this overall miasma of uh, just being a second tier, second rate league um, and nothing we're reading from any of these inside stories about the league from Kanzano or anybody else or Wilner uh, gives you any other impression. Just feels very second rate and selling off a 10% stake in the league uh, for just a momentary cash infusion to give everyone the perception that they're doing as well as the Big Ten and ACC and, and SEC is just... Uh, yeah, it's all consistent. It's all of a piece. Yeah, well, I think last year when everyone talked about how bad everything was, you know, the bowl and then the um, the you know horrible showing in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if football's like, I mean, three and four is pretty. We'll get into the bowl games. Three and four, I think, is pretty bad. Where no convincing wins. The Pac-12 was favored in five of those seven games, I believe. So three and four is certainly not a good showing. There's not really a great out-of-conference win early in the season or in the bowls. Um, so I, I think you know that certainly didn't help. And not sniffing the playoff, like not even being anywhere close, that's not good. But basketball looks like it's taken even a step back. And I don't know. Those are the two revenue sports. Like no matter what Larry Scott says, I mean, these are what matter. It's not like there's a marked improvement over what we saw you know, 2017 season to 2000, you know, to 2018 or whatever to 19, it's still pretty bad. I don't know. I, I don't know what the conference can do about it. I think hiring a PR firm is certainly not going to fix things, but uh, I'll tell you what they have to do. Um, and they, they don't have a lot of control over it. 
especially with basketball, they need to get these schools to hire better coaches um, because what it is is Cal has a joke of a coach. Washington State has a joke of a coach. Stanford has a joke of a coach. USC has a joke of a coach. UCLA just fired its joke of a coach. Oregon State, I thought he was okay, but he's a joke of a coach. Uh, Colorado, decent coach. Washington, decent coach. Arizona, probably a good coach, but he's, you know, getting tainted by FBI stuff and a bunch of other crap going on there. Uh, Arizona State, probably a decent coach. And Oregon, good coach. But you're talking maybe like half the league has something you would call average to above average. Um, and maybe in the case of Arizona and Oregon, uh, uh, good. But it's it, you can't have UCLA have just an absolute dog crap coach um, like that coaching situation for the last, you know, since since Ben Howland turned into zombie Ben Howland in 2010. Um, I mean, that's been a bad situation now for eight, nine years. USC, you know, it has potential as a program, but you can't have a joke of a coach. Um, Cal, like Cal has had good basketball teams in the past. Um, they shouldn't ever be whatever, five and seven in, what are they going to end up being? They're five and seven right now, projected to be nine and 21. Like that should never happen. That should just not happen at Cal. Um it's just you can't have you can't have miserably bad coaches. I think football it's a little bit better, um, and I think they were just kind of in a a down cycle. And you know when we look at it in macro, it makes sense. You know they lost a bunch of quarterback experience from last year. You know if if USC had Sam Darnold this year instead of JT Daniels, they probably win a couple more games. Um, you know UCLA has Josh Rosen instead of the combination of Wilton Spate and Dorian Thompson Robinson, they probably win a couple more games. Um, if Jake Browning um, didn't get, you know, that 15th year of eligibility or whatever, they probably <laughs> win a couple more games. Um, you know, I think you can point to a few different talent issues with, with the Pac-12 and football, but in basketball, it's it's coaching. They, they just have not hired good coaches. Well, we can fix that, David. We just need, you know, why doesn't the Pac-12 make some more money for its schools? Then you can hire better coaches. Yeah, it's not even just I mean, it's it, it is a big part of it, but it's not like their identification of coaches is bad. Like a lot of these guys were hired before this revenue split got so huge. It's just they did a, a lot of these schools have done a very poor job of identifying coaches and hiring them. Um, and I think it, there it, it's not a it's not a perfect market. Like it's not like everyone is making good decisions with their money, no matter what they're doing. And if you're smart and you you can identify up and comers, like you can still hire damn good coaches on a budget. Not you know you can't pay you know a million bucks, but you can pay two two point five and still get some pretty damn good coaching. It's just they you know a lot of schools have not hired well. The truth is, we all know Champagne Larry likes to roll large, right? Like, <laughs> um, yeah, maybe we could cut back some some conference expenses and let this. I don't know. I'm just kidding, but um, well, obviously they should do that. Uh, well, okay, that's enough hoops. That's probably the most hoops we've ever talked on the podcast. Uh, I never want to do that again. Well, th- thank you for for you know carrying that torch for us because I know a little. I know it's not good. Um, you look at the you look at the records and you're like oh like Arizona State's like nine and three a bunch of teams are got four five six losses and I, you know you're not realizing though that most um, yeah we, I think there's the most I forget what it was but you know the most teams with 
uh, five or six losses of any conference. I mean, there's all these bad stats. They're like, oh, yeah, normally you come out of these things, you play a couple of tough games, but you beat a lot of those teams if you're a power five. Yeah, it's not conference. football. Like, if you look at a bunch of nine and three records, you're like, oh, damn, Pac 12 was pretty good. Uh, no, it's not football. Like, uh, the elite teams in a league should be undefeated or one loss in non conference play almost always. Yeah. Um, to, to do this, to have this, like, it's. Because now the losses are going to pile up, right? Because you, you play each other. So, yeah, it's it's just there isn't a team in the league. All right, so Oregon is projected to finish the best, and they're projected to have ten losses. I don't think there's a team in the league projected <laughs> to have single digit losses. That's insane. That's, that's uh, crazy. That's that's um, what we call ferocious. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, well, I think it's probably time, David. Do we want to do our final? 12 roundup of the 2018 okay. football season. Do we need to do that? Do, do we have to? We have to. I think we do. All right, let's do it. So we already talked about the uh, the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, Fresno State beat Arizona State 31-20. We already talked about the Cheez-It Bowl. That beautiful uh, thing. Yes, 10-7 uh, TCU over California. So the Pac-12 needed to kind of get back on track. And uh, so we're going to start off with the uh, Valero Alamo Bowl and Washington State Cougars. Oh, boy. Um, so as I said up top, Washington State should have lost this game. Uh, they won 28-26. Um, but Iowa State, let me just take you through this real quick. They had 515 total yards to 327 for Washington State. That's That's, that's pretty big difference. Yeah, and Iowa State did it mostly on the ground. 200 yards on the ground to 28 for Washington State. They kind of ground Washington State down, but what they ultimately just turned the ball over way too much. Um, I, you know, I thought um, Gardner Minshew got, I think, player of the game for it. I thought he was fine and solid. I don't think he was as good as he was. You know when he was, like, getting really good midseason and we were like, wow, yeah. damn, he might be a real Heisman contender? I don't think he ever quite got back to that level of play um, over the final three or four games of the year. Um, but I thought he was solid. I thought it was a nice uh, finish to the season for him. Um, but Iowa State looked – I mean, that was – they they had every business winning that game. Um, and if they hadn't, you know, screwed up so much at the beginning of the game, throwing a couple of picks in the first two drives. Um, yeah, I think they would have had a real, really good chance of winning this one. Um, and they dominated the second half. Uh, Washington State was able to just kind of hang on to win. Um, but it was a win. Washington State finishes 11 and two on the year. Wow. Um, that's huge. Um, so. Whatever you thought about this game, uh, maybe it makes up for, I don't know, that USC game earlier in the year. Um, but they uh, finishing 11 and two in a year where everyone was expecting this to be a rebuild um, for Mike Leach and company. That's that's amazing. Um, so good on Gardner Minshew. Great on Mike Leach. And uh, I think we're all expecting uh, bigger, bigger and better things, which that might be hard to do. But 11 and two. Yeah I, was a little, yeah, I was a little surprised that the the way Iowa State was able to run the ball, because um, I like what Tracy Clays has done there. But this was and this this was Pat, the Alamo Dome had a lot of Iowa State fans in it. If you got to see, um, they were pretty. It's packed. always it's always a road game for the Pac-12 team. Yeah. Always, it's a it's a good one for big tw you know Big Ten teams to go to. A uh, big Big Twelve teams. 
Uh, but there were some early turnovers in this game. I thought Washington State, they had a good drive early. Then uh, Minshew threw a pick. I think then Iowa State had that. They had a really good drive. To, and then they threw a near pick six. Did you see that early? And yeah. uh, it got called back because of a penalty. The guys, you know, showboating into the – that was a really weird play. But that kind of set Washington State on the right track at least. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, and it's – you know, they got some momentum swings I think at the beginning that just kind of helped give them a little bit of a lead that – but then heading into the second half, Iowa State uh, – they, they, I mean, this was definitely a hang on to win for Washington State. Yeah, because there was like it was back and forth with. I thought the defenses played pretty well. There was a targeting call on Iowa State that extended a Washington State drive that turned into a touchdown, and that was like the crazy Gardner Minshew athletic scramble that he had. That was nuts. Um, but they took advantage of the turnovers. I thought from Iowa State all game, and it sort of set them up. I think in the first half, where you know you got the pick six, you had that targeting. I don't know if Washington State should have been up. They were up 21-10 at the half. I'm not sure if they should have been. And then you look at the, the second half, and it was much um, – you know. And, and one of their touchdowns, too, there was a penalty on the play. I think the left tackle, like, moved, clearly, like, went early. And they, they – you know, Washington State gets a touchdown. I thought Washington State got the, fa- like, favorable calls and, like, a lot of breaks yeah. kind of went their way. Uh, but the, the second half, like you mentioned – it was more of an Iowa State feel to it. The Washington State couldn't get the offense going. It just felt like this is more of Iowa State's pace and the way they wanted to do. Uh, a lot of the breaks, like I said, penalties. I mean, Iowa State had a field goal, hit the post. Um, there was a lot of calls that were just kind of went against them. But Iowa State hung in there. Uh, but, you know, congrats. You mentioned Gardner Minshew. He set the Washington State record and the Pac-12 season, season single, single season record for passing, which was pretty cool. And there was some weird stuff too, like the the Iowa State running back Montgomery. He like never fumbled like all year, but then he fumbled. You know, Iowa State was down one, and he ends up fumbling and late in the game. Or the false start on the two point conversion attempt. At yeah, the end. <laughs> it was like what the heck is that? Um, but it was weird, like that. You know, Washington State would get some good field position, uh, and then they. I think after that fumble, he turned that into a touchdown too. So they didn't really have much offense in the second half, but they take advantage of the weird turnover that normally doesn't happen to Iowa State. Um, they're normally the least penalized team in the Big 12, or one of them, and they had a whole bunch of penalties in this one. Uh, they scored late, and they made it 28-26, but like you said, the penalty on the two-point conversion is like, what is going on here? Uh, and then when Leach had a chance to run the clock out, he was throwing the yeah, ball he was deep. throwing the ball. What the hell, Mike? Deep, low percentage. I think it was, was it, I forget who was uh, calling the game, but he was like, yeah, there's no way. Leach is just going to, I mean, yeah, uh, throw he the ball here. Yeah, 18-yarder to, like, Desmond Patman. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, you haven't watched Washington State before because there's no way he's going to. And I think you might even tweeted that, right? Like, he's not, you know, for people who think he's going to, like, run the ball, like, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah. That uh, was beautiful. It was that, a, that, was, that, was, that was the best part of that, that whole thing. <laughs> like when it they was also, it. like, it, it was like, let me look at it. Uh, it was second and nine with a minute 30 to go. If he doesn't complete that, that definitely gives them time to get the ball back. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I think Iowa State was out of timeouts, weren't they? I think so, And it, but it was low percentage. Like, it was not a – it wasn't like Oh, no, yeah, it, it had some, to hit it in a tight window. Yeah, it wasn't like a dump off or, like, some slant, like, sitting in the middle of a – like, it was, like, over the top of a defender going away from you on the side. Like, what the hell are you doing? And yeah, Crazy. That's crazy Mike Leach, but it worked. Um, the, uh, the Iowa State receiver, that guy Butler – he was really freaking good. Six foot six. 
Um, you could just kind of throw it up to him whenever you wanted to. So they had they had a hard time stopping him. He was he was a good player. Yeah, I thought so too. Um, you know, I I I I, I got to shout out my boy Desmond Patman again. Um, again, I'm just going to tell the same story I tell every time. He was just some dude that we saw on like a at like some seven on seven tournament his junior <laughs> year, and I was like. Man, he's good. And it just it validates me to no end that he's turned out to be so good in uh in in college. So that was cool. Um yeah, I thought, you know, it was it was it was maybe a little lucky, but uh to finish eleven and two, that's 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 legit. And Iowa State, you know, they've got a uh uh a, a pretty good thing going there. Yeah. So not, that's, not that's bad. good for them too. Don't Try not to uh, turn the ball over like five times next time you play in a big bowl game, though. So this is weird. So there was a couple. We'll talk about you know a couple games, but Iowa State was getting three points and covered. Mm-hmm. You know, so I got this one right. But like crazy that you'd think it. You know, it was twenty-one ten. Ah, they're not going to cover. And then it was just completely different in the second half. But uh, well, if you remember, this is one where I had to go against my instincts because Washington State has never been. Mike Leach has basically never been good in bowl games. I just don't think he thinks they matter. Right. So I, we kind of thought, you know, it's a close game. Like, okay, Iowa State would win. Yeah. Um, you didn't really think Washington State would win and still Iowa State would cover. But that's what happened. And we have other ones like that too. Um, okay. So that was that was kind of nice because that was its own – what day was that? That was Friday? Yeah, that was like the 28th. Yeah. So you kind of had your own thing going on. You know, it was like cool. It's like, oh, we get to watch a game. It's all by itself. Then we get this cluster that is New Year's Eve, uh, these next three games. So next up, uh, we have the the Sun Bowl, and we're talking about Stanford Cardinal. Oh. <laughs> you don't want to talk about this one, Dave? Not really. No. Can we not? Is that an option? We, I mean, it's our show. We can do it. <laughs> <laughs> It's not uh, like we get paid. Like it's not like you know. Stanford won. They they did. Um, shouldn't have. <laughs> you, could, you could argue with that. Sure. Uh, they won fourteen to thirteen. Um, I'm just going to give you the yardage totals again because I do think it is instructive. Uh, Stanford, how many how many total yards do you think they had? Um. I'm guessing, you know, it's a bowl game. We're talking about this prolific offenses. I'm guessing. That big passing attack, you know, yeah. probably rack up some inefficient yards. Probably like, you know, 380 or something like that. 208, <laughs> Ryan. 208. <laughs> 208. Uh, Pitt had 344. Mm. There were no turnovers in this game. Mm. How did they lose? <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, this was really awful. I mean, awful, awful, awful to watch. And it was really weird because Stanford actually wasted a pretty good rushing day from Cameron Scarlett, which I didn't actually think was possible um, because I've watched him a lot this year and he really just does not does not get yards like that's He's a short yardage guy and that's pretty much all he does. Uh, but he had 22 carries for 94 yards, a couple of touchdowns, big game for him. Um the passing attack, though, was miserable. Uh, KJ Costello, super inefficient, six of seventeen um, for 105 yards, as I mentioned just a little bit ago. 105 
105 passing yards. In the first quarter, or was that the... No, no, that was in the entire game, <laughs> in the entire football contest. Uh, that was that was how many yards they had. This game was scoreless for a really long time. It was 10-7 at the half. Um, man, this was so bad. Just so, so bad. Uh, Pitt missed a 55-yard field goal. That's, you know, that's tough. Um, that was soon after Stanford scored their uh second touchdown their final touchdown of the game um god just uh this was awful this was worse than the one we're gonna get to um because honestly the oregon michigan state game it didn't quite have the cheese at bull majesty to it but it was you know it was pretty bad in that kind of fun way this wasn't fun this was awful awful to watch yeah, the Jesus Bowl is his own. Like no one came close. Like there were some bad games, but nothing that was close to like the the majesty that was the 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 Jesus Bowl. Um, this was like old school, right? Like it was basically Stanford's defense just kind of. What leading school the way. did you go to? <laughs> old crappy school. This is. I don't know. This is like an old broken down school where they like beat the children and they're like haunted rooms. <laughs> Jesus, that's welcome to the 2019 year of David Woods. Um, what was your favorite to, to give a little homage to our uh, friends at the Solid Verbal? What was your favorite third down conversion for the Stanford Cardinals? <laughs> <laughs> because they had one, so. <laughs> uh, but you know, Cameron Scarlett had a good, you know, like you said, he had a good game. Uh, Bryce Love, if you, you know, he sat out for the NFL draft, so he's trying to get ready for that. His his that second touchdown uh, that he got was basically a fumble. Uh, it was a fumble recovery that I think went as a pass, right? Like that it was got knocked out yes. of KJ Costello's hand. So that's the kind of game. Like it took that sort of random score. Like that easily could have been taken, picked up, and had been a pick six or a fumble return the other way, and that turns into a Stanford. Uh, touchdown. So that was that was kind of strange. But yeah, there's not much to say in this game. It wasn't fun. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't fun to watch. And this is the five this the fifth time in a row that David Shaw and Stanford have won nine games. So I think that's pretty impressive. They end up uh, nine and four uh, on this one. And the game. What was the spread here? The spread was uh, five and a half. Uh, so I took Pitt and uh, covered this one as well. So a a two point win. And then a one-point win for the Pac-12, David. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know the referee in this game? Uh, I don't forget which conference it was from, but David Smith, he was actually the quarterback for Alabama in 1988 in the Sun Bowl. I thought that was a neat little tidbit. That is pretty cool. Yeah. So back then, Alabama wasn't good enough to go anything better than the Sun Bowl. So you remember Alabama wasn't always like this. I mean, they've been like this over the years, but they went through a lull. And, uh, yeah, they weren't always the Death Star. Right. Now they're the Death Star. But uh, they, they, whoever the Alabama quarterback, you know, David Smith was the quarterback in 1988 in the Sun Bowl. Uh, and then he gets to be the referee there uh, after that. But I'm sorry, David, that it wasn't that David Smith. It wasn't very exciting of a game for yeah, you to call. No, never apologize to me. No, I don't. Never yeah. Um, that. so that wasn't, um, wasn't pretty. Uh, so, you know, I figured this next one, so that was, it was going on the same time. Uh, that was the 11 AM Pacific time. And then at noon, so you kind of watch that one going like, man, that's pretty ugly. Well, let's, we're, I'm sure we're gonna get some excitement. You got Michigan state and Oregon, 
uh, in the Red Box Bowl. I guess I just spoiled it, but um, Michigan State and Oregon Ducks. It's got to be better, right, David? It's got to be much better. Can I read to you the drive chart from the first half? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. Punt, 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 interception, punt, 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 downs, punt, punt, end of half. <laughs> I guess that's why it was 0-0 zero, zero at halftime. 0-0. Zero, zero. <laughs> uh, this was v- wow. Wow, so bad. Um there was a there was a point in the, was this in the second half where Michigan State botched the field goal attempt? Yeah, I think so. And th- yeah, yeah, yeah. And like they the the holder caught it such that the ball was resting on the ground on its side and if the kicker had kicked it it would have driven into like the back of the long snapper's leg. Um that was beautiful. I thought that was really <laughs> indicative of this. That was the highlight game. of the game. Uh, if I, I, I mean, neither team was good, but again, again, I have to point out, uh, Oregon definitely should have lost this football game. They had 203 total yards. Michigan state had 331. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's, it, I, I don't love counting stats, like just total yards, but I think it can be instructive. Oregon did nothing like nothing in this game. Uh, offensively, they were awful, um, but it's just Michigan State was pretty inefficient, couldn't quite put it together when they would get it down fairly close to Oregon's end zone, and that was pretty much it. Uh, Michigan State threw an interception at the Oregon 20 in this game, and this is not the kind of game where you can throw an interception no. at the other team's 20. Uh, points were at a premium. Um, Michigan State had just, you know, they they would drive it. Um, they had, what was it? Um in the uh, oh yeah, so at the end of, or in the second quarter, they had an eleven play, fifty six yard drive that ended on downs because they attempted it on fourth and one from the Oregon twenty three. Yeah, we saw later why they don't attempt field goals that much, um, <laughs> but that might have been a good opportunity to attempt a field goal. Um, if they'd been a little bit more efficient in the red zone, if they'd been able to convert scoring opportunities at a little bit better rate. They could have won this game by, I don't know, touchdown, 10 points. Um, but Oregon was able to hang on. Defense played pretty well. Um, and uh, the offense did quite literally just enough. Like, yeah. just enough. They put together basically one drive, and that was enough. Yeah, one-point game. The uh, What was the spread in this one was two and a half. So Michigan State was getting two and a half points, so I got this one right, too. Um Man, zero zero at halftime. Like, what? It, it probably was the most boring bowl game of the year, think, right? <laughs> I, it hasn't. It, it hasn't been a good bowl season, and this was the worst of. It the had bowls. to be. It had to be the worst. Um, Oregon was two of fourteen on third down, so at least they they got two instead of one, like Stanford did. But I believe it was twelve punts on their fifteen drives. And what I'm what my takeaway from this, David, was. Maybe Cal's defense isn't as good as I think it is. Maybe they're, the Cal's defense is just like most other decent Power Five teams, and and when they play a Pac-12 team, they that's kind of what they do because it was like the two hundred yards or whatever. But like to see Stanford go two hundred eight yards or whatever, and Oregon two hundred three yards, I'm like that's kind of like what Cal does to people. 
But maybe other programs can do that too. I don't know. Well, it's what we said coming in is that like these, so we'll get to the next one of this series, but Michigan state Northwestern and Pitt are like three of the like ugliest football teams in college football this year. Like when they win, it is a miserable slog of a football game. (laughs) Um, And when they lose, it's a miserable slog of a football game. So I don't, I don't take a whole route from, I think they all have potential to just ugly up a football game. And I think Cal is kind of in that mold where they will just, they'll, they'll make the game as ugly as possible. And that includes playing a horrible offense of their own. Like they want the game to be unwatchable to the point where the other team loses interest in even playing. it. Yeah. Um, well, Oregon, so there was no run game. Basically they ran for like 400 yards or whatever against Oregon state. And, uh, they couldn't get anything going against Michigan State. A lot of drops. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? What? They averaged 1.4 <laughs> yards per carry. That's oh. more than a full. That's more than a yard per carry, Ryan. <laughs> I didn't realize it was that good. Okay, so that's better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> a lot of drops. Seemed like some dropsies for the Duck receivers. Um, they did. T- I thought the defense played well, though. I mean, you know, they had three fourth down stops. So that's pretty good for the Ducks defense. Michigan State just dominated the time of possession, though. 37 minutes to 23. There was only one turnover in this game, too. Like, none in the, the was it none in the Stanford one, one here. It was a Michigan State interception. And then maybe one of the worst, you know, in the worst bowl game, you would like to have maybe one of the worst plays. Um, did you see the fake field goal attempt by Oregon? Yeah. Um, I don't know what that was. They actually had to, I think, I think our, the, the duck site for us on 24 seven wrote a story on it. Like what, you know, he had the Mario Cristobal trying to explain. And I, the gist of it was like, yeah, like the linebacker noticed. So then it blew the play up. And like, if, if you really going to move like your whole line sideways or what, and you, and you think the linebacker is not going to notice, maybe that's not the right play to run. I don't know. It was just, it looked awful. And it was, it was sort of a microcosm of this entire game. It was beautiful. That, <laughs> and th- that's what I'm talking about when I say like, Pieces of it were more interesting than the Stanford Pitt game and more akin to that Cal TCU game because you saw like that, the horribly botched field goal attempt. Like, I think those things were okay. That actually, that at least has some hilarity to it. I can get behind that. (laughs) Um, And the, the thing with the Stanford Pitt game, going back to that, is they like spread the scoring out too much. So it didn't feel like to really. I think it for it to be hilariously awful, like it needs to be a scoreless half, like a scoreless half of football that gets you in the right mindset to then start really enjoying um, the 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 craptacular nature of it. Um, Stanford didn't give us that. Oregon, they they tried, they tried, and I I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. Well, huh? We're. <laughs> Those, that was not a good morning. We're not even close to done yet. We've got two more of these. That was not a good morning of uh, of Pac-12 football. Uh, you know, started up like at 11. But it must have gotten better, right? It had to get better. We would, you know, Who doesn't love San Diego? Like, San Diego's awesome, although that stadium is, is the worst, especially to cover a game. Um, and, you know, it never rains in San Diego, so I'm sure the weather was beautiful. But we have the Holiday Bowl, David, with Utah Utes. Oh, my God. Um, so this was, um, one of those classic tales of two halves. Um, if you ever see a sports writer, um, use the line, it was a tale of two halves in a, in a sports story. 
uh, find them and kill them. <laughs> Fair. Uh, yeah, that's that's just that's it. Or if they ever used the phrase a microcosm, if it was a microcosm of anything. I just said that like yeah. five seconds ago. Thank you. I know. I know. Kill him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Northwestern, uh, they beat Utah 31-20. Um, so uh, this was interesting because Utah was one of the few Pac-12 teams that actually produced offense um, on, on, on this day. But the problem was they were so interested in completing passes and, and, and getting the ball to players to make plays that they didn't pay attention enough to what uniform the people they were trying to get the ball to were wearing. Oh, what I'm saying here is that Utah had six turnovers, Ryan. (laughs) They had six turnovers uh, against Northwestern and Northwestern is not the kind of team that produces what you would refer to typically as offense. But what they do is ugly up football games. And if you turn the ball over, they will be fully content to capitalize on those mistakes. Um, Utah, pretty much dominated the first half of this game and then had one of the worst quarters of football I think I've ever seen uh, in the third quarter. Uh, just turned the ball over basically every time they had the ball. And uh, Northwestern turned it into 28 quick ones. And uh, just like that, it was 31-20. And then there was no scoring for Utah the rest of the way. Uh, but, I mean, they opened the second half with a pick. Then they had to punt it away. Then it was a fumble return for a touchdown. Then they fumbled on the next play. Um, then they punted it away again. Then there was another pick. So it ended up being that Northwestern scored, um, a touchdown on 56 yards, a touchdown on a fumble return, a touchdown on 31 yards and another touchdown on 67 yards, but they weren't really given, I mean, they, they didn't have to drive down the full field. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna beat Northwestern, you really just, I mean, lots of teams can do it. Akron was able to do it. Uh, but you can't make that many mistakes. Um, and that just way too sloppy of a third quarter. And that's really it. I mean, aside from that, I thought Utah was pretty good, but um, their offense just came completely unglued in that third quarter and then never could regain any kind of rhythm the rest of the way. Yeah, this was, uh, we thought Tyler Huntley might be back from that broken collarbone. Um, he was not. So it was uh, the Jason Shelley show. He threw for 300 yards, a uh, couple of touchdowns. Um, he was actually the the team's leading rusher, uh, fifty eight yards, uh, or he gave thirty nine yards, but he, he, he there were some sacks and stuff in there. Um, I thought he played pretty well. Like you look at the first half, well, Utah was up twenty to three. So this one, so and I had picked. So just going back to our picks real quick, um, Utah was favored by uh, seven points in this game. And you're like you're feeling pretty good. Like all right, and you probably would have taken Utah, right? But you had to, you were forced to take. Northwestern is that the case in this one or no? Um, I can't remember. I cannot remember my logic at all. But we knew like Kyle Whittingham wins his bowl games, and when he gets out to a twenty to three lead, you're like, okay, this is uh, yeah, this is fine. Like they're gonna, you know, Utah's gonna roll. This will be the a good win for the Pac-12, kind of get back on track, and then maybe build some momentum going into the Rose Bowl. And then what? The biggest. I mean, I don't remember like a Utah team like this collapsing this bad five turnovers in one quarter. Um, it was just awful. And they didn't score again for the rest of the game and let Northwestern go from, you know, 28 straight points. And uh, it was when you're watching it, it just felt like it was more of Utah's 
game. It just felt like this was the Utah's kind of pace and it getting a lead like that, it was not going to be Northwestern's not built to like have some crazy sort of comeback thing unless you implode. And that's basically what, what Utah did. So they had them right where they wanted them. They were, you, you had the game the way you wanted it to be going. And then you pretty much handed it away and they couldn't get anything going after that. It just gave Northwestern all kinds of momentum, every, anything good. They would follow with a turnover and it was just, it was bizarre. I mean, I just did not expect a Kyle Whittingham coach team to look uh, this bad like they did in the second half. Yeah, I wonder if it was just the kind of thing where you go into the half up big like that and you're just like, okay, we we can, you know, even not like consciously, but you just kind of subconsciously take your foot off the gas a little bit and you lose attention, lose focus, and Northwestern didn't do that. Um, it can be stuff like that. I mean, that that happens. You don't expect it from a Whittingham coach team. It can also just be bad luck. I mean, turnovers are weird, especially fumbles, um, and it's just kind of ugly bounces and you know, that sort of deal. Um, but the fact that they couldn't put this game away when they ha- very clearly had it in the bag. I mean, this could have been you, you you can see this with Northwestern where, you know, Utah wins this game 31 three. Like it just they gave it back to them in the third quarter. And that was just enough. And, you know, I think Northwestern's a well-coached team. I don't think they have a ton of talent, <laughs> but they're a well-coached no. team. And uh, and uh, I think Utah just kind of. They they looked like almost rattled after that third quarter. Like they just didn't look right. Um, and the fourth quarter was completely miserable for them, um, too. Like they didn't generate much of anything then. So it just, you know, you, you can't have like just a disaster quarter like that. And they did. Um, so this is a team now that's nine and five. Got over the hump, right? Wins the Pac-12 South for the first time. There was a tough stretch with the losses to Washington, Washington State. Um, you know, that game, the, the Arizona State game sort of was, you know, I was impressed the way they bounced back from that, but they they weren't playing well. You lose, uh, you know, Huntley and, and Moss in that week or after, you know, just after the game. Uh, you know, they rattle off a few in a row, which was nice, but, you know, losing to Washington in the championship game, losing a game you shouldn't have lost in the Holiday Bowl. I don't know. We'll see where this team goes, but I, it definitely was a step forward with winning the division, but outside of that, it's like it feels kind of like some of the other years we've seen out of Utah, like just falling a little bit short of they, they could have had been a could have been a little bit greater, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, it's tough. I mean, when you lose your two top offensive players yeah. heading into November, um, I thought they rallied well. Um, this was, you know, this was ugly. Uh, no getting around that. Would have been cool to see their, you know, a 10-win season for them, but. I, I I thought it was given the circumstances it was it was great uh, it was a very good season um, I think Utah fans might be getting a little bit tired of given the circumstances I think they would like to see you know just just win the damn conference or do something um, but I don't think there's you can't knock too hard the job that Kyle Whittingham has done there and uh, you know they they are. We say it every year, but they're the most consistent program in the Pac-12 South. Um, they're the most consistently good. Every single yeah. year, you can count on Utah to be good. No matter what is said in the offseason, no matter who they lose, they will come into the next year and they will be good. Um, and I think their fans obviously would like them to be a little bit closer to great. Um, and I think they were bordering on that um, in the middle stretch of this season. And if... Huntley stayed healthy. Um, if Zach Moss stayed healthy, maybe they would have kept that up through November and, and into bowl season. But 
you know, it's uh, the, those are the breaks. But you know, I, I think it's it's it was it was a good year, um, and it could have been a little bit better. Yeah. Uh, did you know Northwestern had held the ball for almost twelve minutes in the fourth quarter? Like that's insane. That's not um, good. No, after I mean, they didn't. Utah had the ball more in the third quarter because they kept turning it over, so they kept they didn't, you know. But uh, ugh, that was bad. Um, so, but that ended up being sort of a like, I don't know if it's a backdoor cover because it was an early lead, but a game that looked like Utah was good. That's the one, that's the one Pac-12 team I did pick. Uh, they did not end up covering Northwestern was getting seven points and obviously Utah loses the game. Um, so David got that one, got, got one back and then we were tied three to three in our bull picks heading David into a big one. It's the, they like to call it the granddaddy of them all. And for us in the pac 12, the representation was from Washington Huskies. Well, I just knew heading into this game, I could count on Jake Browning. <laughs> you know, I knew, look, Given everything we've been through together, I knew, hey, Jake Browning, big game, gets to fast defense. Yeah, I can count on that. Do you have your tweet somewhere you could read? Like, is it, do you have it available? <laughs> I don't know. What, I actually don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about because Jake Browning led me to, uh, to, to, to victory. Now, not, not Washington. He did not lead Washington to victory. No. Here, but he did lead me to victory against the spread. And that's truly what matters. Um, Okay, uh, this was interesting. Um, Ohio State, I thought, had Washington completely outclassed in the first half. They looked, I don't know, like, I don't know if anyone else had this impression, but when you, like, first watched them on the field, I'm like, holy crap, Ohio State is just so much bigger than Washington. Like, offensive line to yeah. their defensive line, defensive line to their offensive line. I was like, oh my God, they look bigger and they look faster. And, you know, that Rick Neuheisel quote from that Gonzano piece early in the year, I kind of made fun of, but then I'm like, yeah, Ohio State kind of is. Now, Ohio State's one of the, you know, three or four most talented teams in the country, so that makes sense. But still, it was, that was, that was kind of a stark difference from the beginning. Um, and, you know, I thought Washington just looked a little bit, I I don't want to say like not ready for it. They just didn't look like they had much, I don't know, creative planned for this game. And it was kind of weird to see that from a Chris Peterson team. They just looked kind of like they were doing what they were doing, um, what they've been doing all year. Um, a lot of short dumpy off passes from Jake Browning um, and just couldn't get anything going against Ohio State. And that's weird because Ohio State actually doesn't have a good defense this year. Um, so we know we've seen a lot of Washington's offense this year and they're not great, but they should have been able to move the ball more in the first half against this defense. Um, they got it going much more in the second half and they closed really strong in the fourth quarter, made it very, very close to a game. Um, you know, they had it where they scored a touchdown to go down 28, 17, um, with about six forty-two. looks like to go in the fourth. Um, and if they scored on the next two drives instead of just one of the next two drives, um, they, they were, they were right there in that they just didn't quite have it on the next drive, punted it away and then scored again, uh, just before the end of the game, uh, to make it pretty close. Um, but you know, I mean, it was, it was, it was Jake Browning, um, for, for good and for ill. Uh, I thought there were some, I think if you're a Washington fan, you look at this game and you say, and I, this isn't even snarky. I think you say we were an elite quarterback away uh, yeah. because if 
if you've got somebody out there with a gun for an arm instead of Browning, a few of those sideline throws are hit instead of just kind of derped over there and then knocked away by the closing DB. Um, just a few more plays get made. And this was a game where by the end, if a few more plays get made, Washington wins this game. So I think that's probably the note, which is, look, you thank Jake Browning for all he's done. He won a bunch of games in his career. He helped stabilize that position when it needed stabilization, but they're upgrading. Um, they'll get somebody out there who's got a little bit more arm talent and uh, maybe they won't look quite so outclassed for long stretches against these teams with uh, with fast athletic defenses. Yeah, and I, I the kind of just being there and uh, the, the feeling I got was very similar to what I saw from Ohio State last year in the Cotton Bowl um, where the one team was just you know, more talented and they get out to an early lead. And then it was sort of like this urban Meyer thing. Like they weren't ever going to push the envelope. Like they felt like they were in control. Um, you know, last year against USC, they just weren't going to do anything crazy, you know? Um, and they weren't going to do anything crazy against Washington. They were just going to, you know, if they, they get some first downs and score, that's fine. If not, they're punting and they don't care. Uh, Ohio State was just three of 13 on third downs in this game. But they were up 28 to three. You know, they just felt like they were just they they were in control. They weren't going to expose themselves to any sort of uh, risk. They were just going to keep doing what they do. And Washington really was sort of accommodating to that, especially in the first half. There was a lot of Chris Peterson kind of quirks that you would see in this game where, you know, they weren't going for it or you know, there was chances to do. There was one there was one play, I think um, it was like fourth and five near midfield. And, uh, you know, it didn't matter what the score was like Chris Peterson was going to do his thing. Like, yeah, okay. They're down by 14. It looks like they're going to be hard to stop Haskins in this, in this Ohio state team. He didn't care. He was still going to punt when he wanted to punt and, and all that. But I think he lined up to like go for it once and, uh, ended up Ohio state was kind of confused. They called timeout and people are looking around like he's going to go for it. I'm like, no, he's punting now. He just was trying to get, he was playing the game to try to get Urban Meyer to call a timeout, and he accomplished that, so he's punting now. And that's exactly what happened. And another one, you know, Jake Brennan comes out to go for it, and he does the quick punt, you know. And they, it just didn't seem like they were going to – it's like they'll take risks but on their own terms. They don't want to do it when, like, hey, you need to score. It's fourth and blah, blah, blah. Everyone knows you're supposed to take a risk. If Chris Peterson would rather take a risk when you don't expect it, like he'll do some trick play or something. Um, and they had one in this game, too. Uh, we have Miles Gaskin had a TD pass, uh, you know, and, yeah, that little jump pass. Yeah. Jake Browning didn't have a TV TD pass, but Miles Gaskin did. Um, but it just, there was sort of like, you could see these personalities, but I've seen this before with urban Meyer. Um, and it, you know, they, they just knew that they were better. Washington state, I mean, Washington state, Washington threw 55 times in this game, which is insane. Uh, they had more yards, 444 yards. to Ohio state's 364. Similar to what happened last year with USC. You know, there was like USC won a lot of the stats, but they didn't win the game. Um, and time of possession, it was almost a 10-minute advantage for Washington. So it was it was kind of strange, um, but it shouldn't have been as close as it was at the end. It was 28-3, to and it was sort of like Ohio State just like, you know, just sat on it at that point. Really didn't do much at all. Figured out like they're not going to be able to catch us. And it was close. You know, they made a run. And if I think if Chris Peterson got a little more aggressive, there were some times he could have went for it too. Uh, who knows? Maybe you end up losing. Maybe I think if you would have taken that one of the one more risk, David, maybe they don't get it within five if they miss. But if they they might win, they, they might win. Yeah. So it's like, why wouldn't you do that? Like, 
You know what I mean? It just seemed kind of weird. Yeah, and I, maybe I didn't follow his teams at Boise State closely enough. Maybe I only watched them in big games. But there does seem to be a slight streak of conservatism with him. Not, yeah. And it's not – I don't want to like paint him with the brush of like, you know – many conservative coaches I can think of like any UCLA coach over the last like 15 <laughs> years. Um, but there's like a slight streak of it where it's just, you know, in certain, like you'll never see a quarterback punt as much as when you're watching Washington. Like they'll often line up for that quick kick stuff with Jake Browning. And I'm sure going forward with whoever they have. Um, and you just don't see that other teams doing that as much. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a, it's 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 light conservatism because he does work in trick plays and he does work in all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think especially in a game like this where you are going against a more talented team, there's an argument that you want to be a little bit conservative um, to kind of limit possessions and keep things close so that one big play can swing it. Um, but I don't know. I, I it, it's it's. Yeah, I think they're upgrading the talent enough at Washington, and I think I, I do think that Browning was a limiting enough factor that it could have made Peterson's decision making a little bit different. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested to see what it looks like when they have you know a potential NFL guy at quarterback, um, whether that's Jacob Eason or whoever, um, it's somebody who's got that arm who can make all, who can actually make all of the throws, as all these commentators say. You know, somebody who can hit that out. Um, and hit it with speed and hit it hit it on time and right where it needs to be. Um, you know, Browning wasn't that guy um, yeah. for all of his, you know, his, you know, gutsiness and, and playmaking ability. He wasn't that guy. Uh, and we'll see uh, we'll see if they can get that going and if that changes maybe the makeup of, of how they approach games uh, going forward. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I get I, I think there's a lot to look forward to. Washington's recruiting better. Uh, you're going to get a more dynamic quarterback in there, Jacob Eason, or what was that? The fake name the guy gave us, Matt Hawk or something, or Mike Hawk. Mike, <laughs> Mike Hawk. If Mike Hawk beats out Jacob Eason, you're like that'd be good. But you're you know you're losing a lot of production. I mean, he's you know record setter, Miles Gaskin, what a thousand yards four years in a row, Bird Curvin, like all the like. There's going to be some production loss, so it, that's not always easy to replace. But. They always they always lose production. Yeah. The only guy they've lost in the last like three years who mattered, who ended up actually mattering, was John Ross. Everyone yeah, else matter. they've replaced easily. Um, I'm never, ever, ever going to talk about Washington losing defensive starters ever again because every year we do that, and every year their defense is, oh, yeah, they're a top-10 defense again. Yeah. It just that they, they have a scheme on defense that works, and offensively – uh, they 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 really needed a playmaker with Jake Browning. I think once they upgrade the quarterback position, you'll find that they have some playmakers. Um, but uh, they needed that guy with explosive deep speed if you're going to have a guy like Browning. Um, and they didn't have that as much the last couple of years, and it showed. Um, but you get Jacob Eason out there, maybe suddenly these guys look like better playmakers. Yeah. Uh, if if he's rocketing throws to them instead of looping them. You had a tweet. Um, you said that throw to the sideline is going to be what I show my grandkids when they ask about. They ask me about the great Jake Browning. It might have been the same one. I was looking. There was some. There was mostly Ohio yeah. State fans around us, and there was a Washington fan. Was it, it should have one? been a pick six. Like it could have easily been a pick. Was six. it the lofty one? Like it was super. Yeah, lofty. it was. Yeah, he was just throwing it out to the sideline, and it needs to be like a laser. Yeah. Like that throw 
needs to be a laser because the Ohio State guy, I don't know if he was in pure press, but he was he was up very close to the line of scrimmage. Like you need to laser that one in there and he loops it as if it's a touch pass like 80 yards downfield. Um, and the Ohio State corner got there so fast that it was kind of weird that he didn't pick it. Like yeah. that was the that was the strange part. It was like, I think you almost broke that up with your forearm. Like you, <laughs> you your hands were there a long time, buddy. It's like you uh, run by the kicker when you're trying to block a field right, goal. Right, like yeah. it, it threw him off that it was thrown so poorly. And <laughs> he's like, ah, I can't catch it. What? Ah. Um, yeah, so it's it's like if you're like throwing to a major league hitter and you throw it like 45 miles per hour. <laughs> like I throw I throw my 42 mile an hour fastball and he's like, ah, I can't hit it. What? Ah. <laughs> Um, it might've been that, that one. I just turned around. I remember turning around. I'm like, there is a lot of air under that ball. And it was like, <laughs> that's not a ball that you wanted to put. Well, and a you, lot had, of you had, you had time to say that entire sentence in the time it took him from <laughs> to throw it to, to the time it was broken up. Yeah. But my favorite tweet from you, this was probably sometime around when it was 28 to three. You said the greatest crime inside Troy. That's me on Twitter ever committed was doing so well in our pick contest that I was forced to take Jake Browning and the points in a big game. <laughs> so, but you end up getting it right because they cut it to, yeah, it was a six and a half point spread when we picked. The trick um, is never, never count out Jake Browning. <laughs> that was negative. Like uh, you were like negative reinforcing something or I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was, I was reverse jinxing it. And you know, I, I, we've talked a lot about, you know, the, the, the potential scenario where Jake Browning leaves, but I'm excited to see him again next yeah. year. Yeah. He'll I think that's going to be where he really shines. <laughs> He'll do some more push-ups. That arm will be stronger. And uh, oh man, yeah, yeah, it'll be great. Um, so those are the bowl games. So I ended up finishing, and we both kind of made some weird picks in the bowls. Like I would have picked Fresno State, but I was, you know, we were trying to go against each other and stuff. And Dave was trying to catch up, but I ended up being a three and four for me, and four and three for David. And uh, so I ended up getting the season by three games, fifty nine. 37 and three and you were 56, 40 and three. Uh, but I guess the spread, that's pretty darn good. We, we, you know, significantly higher than, you know, better than 500, uh, picking against the number. So we know our pack. I didn't want to bring well. this up earlier in the year, but we are including in those pick results. Um, a lot of no spread games from earlier in the year. There is a, there's a handful. I'd have to go through I mean, a lot of them though. We try to make a spread for, um, and they did beat that fake spread that we did create. Yeah. So that matters. But yeah, so maybe we'll, maybe next year, because I thought about that too. So maybe if there's no spread, we'll just pick, but won't count it or something. You know what I mean? That probably works. That probably makes yeah. sense. Because I do not, I do not under any circumstances want to give people the impression that we are good at this. Like I do not. That, that would be a false advertisement. I don't, maybe just not as many people watch most of the Pac 12 games. So that's why, you know, if you do, you could actually do okay on your picks. Like we do pretty good, you know? We do fine. Yeah. Um, wow. So that's, that's the last game we have to talk about. I just feel weird, you know? I no, know. There's no more football now. No more football. So basically, so we're going to have answer questions like we always do. And we luckily, we got a lot of great uh, listeners out there that send in questions. So we'll get to those. We'll try to do, we got to do a, uh, a recruiting show so we can kind of maybe get like Biggins or Huffman or somebody or Blair to recap some of the Pac-12 teams and all, yeah. all of them, like how they did in the early signing period and then looking forward to. So right now the Army Bowl is going on. I'm actually going to go out to um, 
Hawaii for the Polynesian Bowl and the uh, Under Armour things going on too. So lots of, uh, there'll be all-star games. So maybe after that, there'll be some more announcements and stuff. We can get one of those guys on and, and kind of recap how things are going. Yeah, that sounds good. Cool. Um, well, should we? Yeah, I'll, I'll, should... I'll start with Anthony. Okay. Hi, Ryan and Dave. What are your thoughts on this list from at TBob53? I'm assuming on Twitter. Since Ed Orgeron took over as the interim head coach at USC, this can't be true. He is the sixth winningest coach in all of college football. Huh. So that's one Saban at 41 and two, two Dabo at 40 and three, three Urban at 38 and five, four Peterson at 34 and nine, five Paul Christ. That's kind of weird. Yeah. 33 and nine. That one. And then number six, Ed Orgeron, 31 and 11. Right there with James Franklin at 31 and 11, followed by Mark Richt at 29 and 13. Who he retired, retired, forced out or whatever was going on there. That's crazy. Um, I would have two thoughts. Uh, okay. One, one, um, uh, this is going to benefit established coaches um, and coaches at big programs that I mean Orgeron's walking into a situation that's unique in that LSU never has bad seasons by any reasonable standard they just have like eight and four seasons where they fire a coach afterwards but they're always like eight and four or better when was the last time LSU was not eight and four or better yeah I don't know I'd have to look but they're usually there um but they do play in the toughest you know division uh in college football so Going eight and four is not terrible, but they usually play four crappy out of conference games. So <laughs> you got you got to try to basically you're trying to go like you know five hundred in, in the SEC, and you're going to be eight and four. The last time they did not go at least eight and four was nineteen ninety nine. Holy crap! Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, um, and he also so at USC he was six and two as the interim. Uh, the problem is he lost to UCLA and Notre Dame, I believe, that year. And that's, you know, whatever, one of the reasons they didn't keep him. This is a, you know, it's probably not a topic other places. But for USC fans, there's a lot of people that still love. I mean, I, I'm a fan of Ed Ordron. I like him. He's always cool to cover. And he's a guy that I liked. And I, I thought, you know, it was a rough going at, at Mississippi the first time through. But I thought he grew a lot as a coach. And I th- I really felt USC should have they would have been better off keeping Orgeron than hiring. Steve oh, no Sarkeesian. question. hundred no percent. And no question. They would be better off right now with Ed Orgeron than Clay Elton. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and if you, if you keep Orgeron, not only do you not bring in Sark who, you know, lasts a year and a half before flaming out, but it probably doesn't allow Chris Peterson to go to Washington. So like that was a, one of the worst athletic director decisions. And you've seen a lot of them at UCLA day, but that was probably one of the worst ones in the PAC 12 history doing that but there's usc fans that also like talk that they don't like them they wouldn't work it's like you know what is he like the ideal coach like probably not but at the time the players loved them like they had a whole bunch of guys transfer i feel like you needed you've made bad hiring decisions and this was going to be a you kind of save you could save yourself by keeping order on and uh they didn't do that um so yeah like if you did some exhaustive coaching search would he be the number one guy no but He's done some really good things, and and you certainly would have been better off keeping him there. So, not super surprising. I, you know, I'm I'm glad he's he's doing pretty well there at LSU. He's got some big wins. He's had some 
some bad losses, but I, I don't personally think he's a bad coach. And I think he's learned a lot from uh, some of the mistakes he had earlier in his career. Yeah. The, I just have to do the aside because the, the funniest thing about the Sark thing, because this was the year before we started this show, um, I think when he left Washington for USC or maybe it was like a year and a half before um, he was like a year away from being fired at Washington when USC went and scooped him up. Oh yeah. Like he was getting very close to the hot seat. They were, I mean, they were just the same team every single year under him. There's a reason why he was called seven win Sark. <laughs> uh, so that like, that was the most, that was uh, from, from my perspective. Now from a USC perspective might not be so funny, but from my perspective, <laughs> that's what made it so hilarious is that they, it's not just that they hired Steve Sarkeesian. They hired Steve Sarkeesian when he was pretty much on his way out already at Washington. That was beautiful. I think if he would have lost the Apple Cup that year, they might have fired Yeah, he might have been gone. He might have been out. Yeah. If I remember correctly. So, yeah, USC did Washington a huge favor by getting rid of Sark and allowing Chris Peterson to roll over there and uh, into his thing. Uh, This one's from Mark, David. Uh, Ryan and Dave. I'm on the edge of my seat during Washington's furious comeback in the Rose Bowl and couldn't help but notice Jake Browning's clutch fourth quarter throws that helped save the Huskies from a 28 to three blowout loss. I guess he saved. Yeah. So yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah. He saved, he saved me from a loss mark and that's all that matters. Yeah. Uh, with the post game news that Browning has been granted another year of eligibility, Washington fans must be excited about the possibility of having a returning senior starter at quarterback next season. Do you think he can win the Heisman? Thanks for the great podcast. Sincerely, Mark. If he comes back, Mark, I will vote. I'll use my vote for Jake Browning no matter what. I will become a Heisman voter just to vote for Jake Browning yes. when he makes his glorious return to the field next season as a fifth-year senior or sixth-year or whatever year he would be. I love it. All right. Um, thanks for uh, that, Mark. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Um, all right, this is from Bill. Hi, Ryan and David. Bill and Mesa here. I just found out that the Women's World Cup is this year. Women. Yeah, Women's World Cup. That can only mean your usual spot-on and incisive analysis of the worldwide <laughs> phenomenon that soccer, or is it football, has become. With April 1st right around the corner, I'm sure, because I've asked for it repeatedly, you guys will have a show devoted to discussing and analyzing the complete ins and outs of this biannual world competition that the U.S. women at least qualify for. Who knows? Maybe the Pac-12 Network might even include some of these games in their ever-popular coverage of the sports. Keep up the great work, and here's hoping you two never run out of things to discuss. Oh, Bill, if you listened all of last offseason, you probably came pretty close to seeing us run out of things to discuss yet here we did sit still talking ever talking never shutting up and we will (laughs) we will i'm sure devote many 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 minutes of time more than you would prefer actually to the women's world cup yeah because actually actually i will say this about the women's world cup right here right now i enjoy it more than the men's yeah it's it's more fun. Maybe that's just me being an ardent patriot here in my heart of hearts. But maybe it's just that the women are good. The U.S. women are good. Um, but also soccer is um, – I think it's – I don't – like, look, the, the men probably run a little bit faster and kick it a little bit harder. But the women seem to just be all around more competitive. And without the flopping and stuff, like that, 
that kind of does it for me. Like yeah. to, to not just be like falling down. Like you just broke your spine every time you get like toe tapped. Um, that's, that's good. So I can get a little bit more behind the women's uh, world cup and I tend to watch it a little bit more closely than the men's. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, I like to, I mean, I'm not a, obviously we, neither of us are soccer fans, but I'll watch the women and root for them and stuff. Um, that's cool. Uh, yeah. but yeah, they, I don't think they flop as much. Um, they don't, they definitely yeah. don't No, so, They're much more competitive flopping pretty much blows. So I don't want to see that. Um, no, it's, it's garbage. It's garbage gamey. Like, honestly, it's not even like the masculine, like, Oh, don't fall down. Like you got hurt if you didn't get hurt. It's the gaminess of it. Like it's turning that piece of it into like actual strategy. That's annoying to me. It's like the same thing as faking injuries and in college football, um, yeah. to slow down a team's tempo. It's just, yeah, you're, you're basically exploiting a rules flaw. Like that's, that's stupid. I don't yeah. like it. Soccer's dumb. We just, we all agree. Um, yeah. We got Alex in Santa Barbara. I sent us two emails. The first one, he said, Hey, David and Ryan, as 2018 comes to a close, who had the more painful experience, Ryan and USC fans with Clay Hilton or David and UCLA fans with Alford? Uh, do you see an, any end to your pain in 2019? Thanks, guys. And then he said, what a difference a day makes. No more pain. Yeah, uh, so the answer is Ryan and USC fans with Helton. <laughs> That's the answer. You don't know why? Because UCLA fired its guy. Yes. Is it going to be like a weird... Um, what the hell am I going to tweet about in March now? Yeah. I don't I, like I was I was getting ready to update all of my Steve Alford stats and now I can't do it. You have a lot of them where they were. Is there a real talk about like maybe hiring like a Becky Hammond or someone? That was that's something I've heard like buzzed about, like just from fans and stuff on Twitter. And I, like, I, I think there's obviously some again, you could go to like the like very sexist reasons to not hire her. My thing is, I think you just need somebody who's been a head coach um, and a, a successful one. I don't think UCLA should opt for somebody who is just an assistant anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so you hate women. Basically, yes. That's uh. what I'm trying to get across. Like, <laughs> I, by all accounts, by all accounts, she's great. And I think she was apparently in the running for the Colorado State job. But I think anybody needs to get, especially in college, because it's a different thing from the pros you'd kind of need a lower level job before you get a super high major elite job because you need to show you can recruit yeah. um, and manage a program. It's a different thing from the NBA. Um, and that's also why I'm out on uh, another option for UCLA is uh, being talked about a lot by the um, former players for UCLA is Earl Watson, um, who uh, was yeah. the head coach in the NBA for a couple of years, but again, wasn't good um, first. I mean, it, it flamed out super quick with the Suns, um, but then also he hasn't done college coaching at all yet and that's a different deal i mean yeah. you have to recruit and if you're not you know if you haven't done that before and if you haven't really um run a program before it's just hard to project that and i don't think ucla ucla is not desperate enough that it needs to project whether or not a guy can recruit or a girl or i mean or a woman for that matter um just you know, they, they, they should hire somebody who's proven. Uh, sexist David Woods. Crazy. That's me. That's um, me, Mr. Sexism. I think like, so I would love to see that happen. Not, not necessarily UCLA anywhere, but just see her get like a, a good gig in college. I would think like the fan base, you would bring in a whole bunch oh, yeah. of fans, right? Like if there would be, um, I know that been people like, they get in this debate of like, well, you know, ESPN doesn't give enough time to like women's sports and things like that. For me, when the TV network's doing it, I don't, 
Mike, I mean, I don't know. I'm not a super expert, but my gut is they're putting out what people are going to watch, whatever they need to get the most viewers possible. Like they're trying to make money. So if it's a WNBA game or, uh, you know, like an esports thing, if the esports is going to do better, like they're going to put that on. You know, I, I feel like they kind of do that. But if this is something where it's kind of a mix where people are going to watch UCLA basketball anyway, you know, men's basketball has got all the tradition and stuff. You bring in like a Becky Hammond and you're going to bring in all these new fans and there's going to be people that are backing it and stuff. I, th- I think it'd be really interesting. Yeah, I do too. Um, and honestly, she might end up great. Yeah, um, I have no idea. And, I'm sure she'd be good, but who knows? Uh, yeah. she, she's got a great rep. Um, and I think it would be cool from like from like the actual reality of um, the breaking barriers thing because, uh, yeah, there are probably a ton of women who would be great coaches of all these men's sports the same way they allow dudes to coach all these women's sports. Um, but we just have this built-in filter that prevents them from doing it. But like coaching is coaching. I mean, I just don't think, I I mean, I I think you can find the same types of psychopathic motivators on the uh, female side of the spectrum as you can on the male. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I I would love to see it. Um, I just don't think UCLA is in the position where it needs to drop down to somebody who, yeah, the unfortunate reality is that she hasn't had a head coaching job largely because of that, uh, built-in sexism, but UCLA is a high-tier job where you don't necessarily want to take a chance. Um, and so that's the part where it's, you know, I think like a, a mid-major or even a low-high major, you know, like a whatever, like an Iowa State or like a Washington State or any of those, yeah, take a chance. Hell yeah. What do you have to lose? But yeah. UCLA, um, it's just, it's it's too top-tier of a job that you you're not going to drop down to the level of hiring an assistant, no matter who it is. All right. Next one up. I think we got some hoops here too. Can I blame Larry Scott for this too? This is from Earl in West LA guys with five losses on Saturday's schedule. The men's college basketball season went from bad to worse for the PAC 12, which is assured of the worst December by a major conference in the past 20 years. Thanks Earl. I was, I knew I was going to say something like that, but that's, So it's the worst December any major conference has had in 20 years. Coming off a winless NCAA tournament last March, the Pac-12 will be the first of the Power Five conferences, plus the Big East, to finish December with a winning percentage below 600 in the past two decades. Please, please, can I blame Larry Scott for this too? Earl in West LA. I would say obliquely, but what I was saying up front, it's coach hiring. So it depends on how much you think salary considerations played into all the coaches that have been hired in the Pac-12 over the last like six or seven years. I'm out on that a little bit. I think that's going to become increasingly a factor, but I also just think these schools have hired a lot of duds. Um, And I don't know how much of that you can pin on Larry Scott right now. I think going forward, if they continue to hire duds, and it's obviously because they don't have the money to pay, then I think you can start pinning it a lot on this, you know, screwed up TV deal and everything. But um, right now, I think it's just these schools have screwed up. A lot of these schools have screwed yeah. up and who they've hired as as coaches. Yeah, I agree with you there. I mean, I think you've the Pac-12 could do better, um, but it's not, it's not all on Larry Scott. But Larry Scott's definitely made some decisions that kind of helped us get here too, um, that other conferences aren't doing and you know john canzano talked about a lot of that stuff it's all you know it's all kind of inner 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 uh work together but um you can't just say oh it's larry scott's that this is why because of larry scott but there's a lot of factors in play he's one of them 
Um, but there's other factors too. Yep. All right. So this is from Michael. Location, location, location. Hi, guys. Where are the elite college football programs? Tuscaloosa, Columbus, Ohio, Clemson, South Carolina, South Bend, Indiana. I mean, throw Notre Dame in here. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Norman, Oklahoma and Athens, Georgia. What do these programs have one have in common? One, not one is in a big city. Okay. Two, they fill their stadiums. Okay. Three, only Notre Dame would be respected for academics. Okay. And they're the one that I would question is actually elite, but okay. Four, these teams are not in the recruiting hotbeds of California, Texas, and Florida. I would add a fifth, which is that um, four of the six are coached by the four best coaches in the country right now. Sure. Right? I'm going Saban Meyer. I mean, until he retires or whatever um dabo dabo and i guess lincoln Riley. i mean you can throw kirby smart in there too if you want to um so okay all right but those those other things are also things they have in yeah, common okay this sure. is a pretty big city i mean it's, it's not columbus like- is a pretty big city and athens is like an hour away from atlanta but fine whatever okay uh if you look at the attendance numbers in 2017 the only big city team to make the top 20 was usc at number 18 i doubt they made it in 2018 right so michael i'm gonna say right now you are um veering very close to a correlation and causation fallacy but all right risking (laughs) your wrath here are the elite college basketball teams durham north carolina lexington kentucky chapel hill north carolina lawrence kansas spokane washington east lansing michigan and philadelphia pennsylvania again most are not in big cities uh where is east lansing because i i have a feeling it is isn't that like a suburb of Detroit? I don't, I think it's a little further away. I don't I don't think it's a suburb. But maybe is it? it is. I don't okay. know. Maybe, maybe maybe you're right. I don't know. Okay, whatever. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm I'm with you. I'm with you. All right. Again, most are not in big cities. Villanova is the exception. Uh two, only Duke and Carolina are strong academic institutions and how much they enforce academic standards is questionable. They fill their arenas. With the exception of Villanova, none of these schools seem to have a ton of elite local talent. Do you think there is a reason why elite teams are generally not from big cities? Well, one reason is there aren't that many huge cities. First, Um, New York has never had strong college basketball programs. USC and UCLA are historically down just generally football and basketball wise. Um, I don't know. Can you think any more reasons, Ryan? Dallas is another big city that like, what's the big school in Dallas TCU. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I think it's more like, like you're saying, like sort of a causation sort of thing. It's not a, well, the big land schools were always, I mean, a lot of these big land schools, especially the big publics weren't put in the big cities in these areas a lot of times because they needed land. But we've seen uh, Miami be really good. We've seen U.S. I mean, we've seen city teams be really good. There's different. You know, Miami when they were winning national championships, they didn't fill their stadium either. You know, like that's just that's probably more of a. If you're in a big city, it's a little bit different. If you're in, um, you know, you're you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, they're gonna fill that no matter what, and their team's not very good. <laughs> I mean, that's just. I think that's just more of the nature of 
of you know what's going on there. How many other things can you do? Uh, there's nothing else to do in Tuscaloosa. Like it, even if Alabama's not good, they're still going to be. They're still going to show up. Yeah. So I okay. Anyway, I'll continue. Uh, are teams in Los Angeles, the Bay Area, Seattle, and Phoenix facing disadvantages to becoming elite? Um, no. I mean, Los Angeles, no. The Bay Area, not really. Phoenix, yes, from a talent acquisition standpoint, and Seattle to a certain extent from that same standpoint. But I, I don't think from any other real standpoints besides the Pac-12 issue. Um, so I guess, all right, so I will say this. Um, the, the revenue base potential for the Pac-12 is lower than everyone else because um, – uh, sports fandom isn't as rabid out here. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, and that could be regional too, where it's like, hey, you know, people are going surfing or skiing or or going to professional games. I mean, there's a different things. Like the Pac-12 is unique as far as the footprint goes, and the, like the fan base, it's it's just different. I mean, there's I think there's just a lot of differences if you're in a city or if you're in Pullman, Washington. Yeah, but I, I guess I, I'm going back to like the big city thing, which is like, what's what are the big schools in Chicago? Like it's DePaul for basketball, but yeah. is there even a big football school in Chicago? No. We're talking like Northwestern is like the closest, and that's Northwestern, right? Um, but like New York City doesn't really have anything. Like L.A. is the one of these big, huge metro areas that has schools and. I mean, historically, UCLA is the most elite college basketball program, and USC is what top three for football. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very LA is unique by having those two major universities. They have big schools, yeah. and oh wow, it just so happens that they have the most again the most elite college basketball program historically. Yeah. I mean, obviously, lately hasn't been great, and the one of the whatever three most elite football programs. I mean, that's a big city that has that going on so that's okay anyway um our teams in places like pullman tucson and eugene are only hope no i think you've i think you've done a a a causality issue here yeah and then keep up the great coverage of the conference of champions in non-revenue sports old michael (laughs) thanks michael that was good Um, allowed me to to stutter and and mutter my way through that one east lansing by the way is about 90 miles from detroit so it's not i wouldn't consider like so an hour hour and a half yeah depending on how you're driving Nice. Um, <laughs> I think it is. Yeah. Let's see. So, do we this text message? Do we re, we haven't read this one, right? Um, oh, Ryan, you're asking me to go back into my email and look. I'm looking. Okay. Uh, well, it's here. Uh, so the text message is Cal gave up, uh, gives up only 28 yards passing, picks off four passes and loses. I think I would take any of the. Oh no, we did read this one. I think the Dr Pepper yeah. tuition giveaway people. Okay. Maybe that didn't. Yeah. So did we? Okay. So then we kind of caught up to where we were for the last show. Yeah, I, I think believe. we might. Because uh, that's we read that one already. Unless there's other older ones that we haven't read. This is, this is probably great podcasting radio. Right. This now. is great. Um, you know, I thought. <laughs> you know, we can only go over so much in our extensive uh, planning meetings before the show. Uh, <laughs> All right. There's one from uh, from Chris. Okay. Uh, the time to start your reps for the off season. I'll read that. Okay. 
Uh, hope you guys had a good, had a great Christmas. Wilner was great on the last show. Also enjoyed the UCLA basketball talk. Not made my mind wander and wonder though, if Chip Kelly could dunk a basketball with a trampoline assist and 10 tries, you know, I think Chip Kelly's got some hops. He looks like one of those kind of round dudes who can move a little bit. Oh, okay. I'm just going to say it. Um, also kudos on the great tip on urban dictionary and the herocious movement. A truer definition of an English word has never been written. Vote early, vote often, as they say about recruits and five-star ratings after Alabama makes an offer. You know, I'm going to look this up right now. How is Herocious doing on Urban Dick? So, what? We are first. Oh, wow. No way. We are first with 66 upvotes. Nice. I'm I'm voting up again, and I'm voting (laughs) down everyone else. (laughs) Holy crap. Crap. All right. Awesome. Everyone, you've done a great job. So Herocious is definitely the top definition now. Um, 67 upvotes now Love that it. I have taken care of business. Um, all right. Uh, also, okay. I uh, took a great trip to Japan just before Christmas and saw what appeared to be a college football championship awards ceremony on local TV. Confetti awards, cheerleaders, trophies, and the whole lot. Slick production must have been a Pac-12 Network's production. If Cliff Helton or Clay Kingsbury have the same problems on the late signing day that they had on main signing day, there may be some recruiting ground in Asia that Oregon, Washington, and Stanford have not already scorched. Before you make fun of this tip, tell us listeners that you are confident that four sumo wrestlers would not blow up the USC O-line at the snap of a ball. The funniest part about this, Chris, is that this is not the first time we have talked about sumo wrestlers on this podcast this year. Yeah. Um, somebody should recruit Mongolia. I'm just saying it It needs to happen. There's athleticism. You, you know, you look, when you recruit offensive linemen, you love them when they're like doing the shot put at a discus, you can see their footwork. Like they, you got the sumo guys. They got to have great footwork, great balance. They can just lean on people. The first program that recruits Mongolia is winning every national title. That's all I'm saying. My question, now that you have finished picking bowl games and with just one remaining chance next podcast to lament how the Pac-12 came up short in bowl games to get you warming up for doldrums heading up to spring training, leading up to spring training. Uh, If the Pac-12 coaches were dogs, oh God, what breed, (laughs) Rottweiler, Doberman, Toy Poodle, etc., would they be? Oh, geez. I don't even know that many dog breeds. No, I would. I, I, it wouldn't be funny enough because you you need to be like a really good dog person. I love dogs, but I'm not like... I can't tell you. You're like, oh, that's a Warnheimer or whatever. Like, I don't know what those things are. Chip um, Kelly's like Chip Kelly's one of those like um, what like a like a Jack Russell Terrier. Jack. Okay. Um, David Shaw would be one of those ones that wins the uh, like the best in show. That's like kind of you know this purebred like just you know everything's in the right place. He just what well, I don't know what those breeds are, but be one of those. Yeah. Is that like a, I don't know. Is that like a German shepherd? No, no, they have, no, I wouldn't pick a German shepherd. I don't know dogs. It would be like a small, like a medium sized dog. That's just like very well kept. And it's got like the, the flat, like, yeah. Um, I don't know. I said, I don't know enough dog. Is Cristobal like a Mastiff? Yeah. He would be something like powerful, big and powerful. Like same with, uh, um, maybe that would be, uh, Kyle Whittingham. Cause he's more of a Whittingham seems like a Rottweiler. He could be, or you could reverse that because like Whittingham would be like more of a mountain guy, a ski guy. So you would have one of those, what are the, what are the ones that have the, is that, is it Mastiff? The ones that have like the, the old 
Bugs Bunny cartoons would have like the barrel on their necks that they would be the, like the rescue dogs going through, digging, yeah. digging people out of uh, avalanches. That's what Whittingham would be, I think. Yeah. Larry Scott's a poodle. <laughs> a toy poodle, yes. Yes. Um, Leech would be something like this mutt that, uh, but is like super smart, but it's, you know, it kind of looks a little raggedy and stuff, but is like the smartest dog on the block and just a little kind of crazy looking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Peterson's like some sort of bird dog, I think. Ooh, I like that. That would be good. Yeah. One's that, you know, you shoot the duck and he goes out and gets it. Yeah. Um, nice. Herm, Herm kind of just reminds me of a Doberman. Yeah. I could go that, that way. Okay. So we've actually done this. <laughs> Uh, what is Clay Helton? I don't know what he would be. Um, uh, he's like, he's like, um, oh man, I could be so mean. He's like, <laughs> he's like one of my dogs growing up, like a shepherd mix that you just feed like a bunch of garbage to and they get big and fat and they're just kind of lazy and they're friendly and they hang out and they're like cool and they don't bite anybody or bark or like really do anything worthwhile. And they don't ever like, if there's an intruder or anything like that, they're never going to make any noise whatsoever. They're just going to sleep. That's Clay Helton. <laughs> he would have to be a really friendly dog. Lick, lick your face. He would dog. be so friendly. Like he'll just lick you and, and be petted. Like he's yeah. fine being petted. Like never and never like a cross bark for anybody, but um, pretty much worthless. Beyond Kevin, that. Kevin Sumlin. Um, I'm picturing one of those like cartoon like <laughs> dogs. It's like with his eyes kind of darting back. Like he's just like on top of things and just like. Uh, like watch out for that guy, you know, something like that. I can't, I don't know why that's what I'm picturing. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. Like a rescue of some sort. He was rescued from Texas A&M. <laughs> who, so but he's who, still, he's still, he's still carrying a little bit of baggage. So who have we left out? Uh, we got uh, Jonathan Smith. Jonathan Smith. I have no idea. Um, we don't know him well enough. Mel Tucker. Don't know him well enough yet. Justin Wilcox. Oh, um, like a greyhound, maybe. You know, he seems actually like a German Shepherd type. Okay, I was just thinking like long and lean, but not yeah, like I a could, super could, fast greyhound. But like he's he looks like the greyhound, you know. Sure, sure. Yeah, but, yeah maybe you. German Shepherd. Okay. So okay. we did. So we did. Uh, we did everybody. I think right. Did we miss anyone? I think that's it. I think that's it. Do we get? Oh yeah, because we don't know. Okay, yeah, nice. All right. Should we uh, wrap it up there, I guess, with our dog, the dog breeds of... I think that was a perfect way to finish this mess of a podcast. <laughs> so tell us, like, yeah, send actually send them in if you want. Uh, tell us, like, who you think, because we don't know dogs that well. Tell us, like, oh, you met this breed or blah, blah, blah. Um, if you got some good ones, and we'll, we'll read them. Coming up. So if we missed if any questions that came in before, sorry about that. They're probably out of date, but we, we should be back on track now, and we'll figure out a... We'll probably do a regular schedule again and uh, get some recruiting stuff going in there. We're going to have, is it Arizona State that starts like right at signing day or right after February? They probably 7? already started. <laughs> Herb's like, yeah, let's start now. Uh, how many How many spring practices do we get? Like 50? All right, let's start now. Like, uh, no, you, you get you get 15, Herm. What? No, come on. Um, <laughs> All right, one every other week until the season starts. I can't do math. It's very <laughs> No, obviously, you know, Herm's been good. I'm curious to see what he does uh, this spring. Um, 
and uh, you know what what's going to be changing there because you know you got to replace Manny Wilkins and uh, you know can he keep it up and you know they finished second in the Pac-12 South two years in a row, a couple of bowl games. So let's see if uh, Herm's able to keep going. He's he's definitely proven or like you know done a lot better than we I think both of us thought coming into it. Um, so I'm curious to see how he's going to continue. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, I guess that'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks everyone for listening, and uh, we're going to put a bow on the 2018 football season. Lots of basketball to talk about in the coming weeks on the podcast. Of Ch- no, we're not. We're not going to do that. But um, we wouldn't do that to you. No, we wouldn't do that to you. But we'll have some recruiting talk, some coming up spring football talk, and we'll answer all of your questions. I don't know if we're going to talk about the World Cup, Bill, but uh, we'll talk about some things. And it should be interesting. So that's David Woods. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time.